Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. Okay, well, good morning, Abundant Life. Um, man, it is so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I just wanted to start off and take just a minute um, just to thank you as a church family. Um, if you were here with us last week, um, Pastor Garris shared that um, this is actually my last Sunday on staff here at Abundant Life. And, uh, <laughs> Um, and I am moving into a new season. Um, my husband and I are expecting a new baby boy this December. Um, and for those of you who have been around for a few years, um, you know that this is the culmination of a lot of answered prayers. Um, and so many of those have come from those of you who are here this morning. And so um, I genuinely just cannot thank you enough, Spencer and I both, for the support that you guys have given us, the prayers you have prayed, the encouragement that you've given us over these last few years. And um, this isn't goodbye. Um, we are still around. This is our church family. Um, but I just wanted to take a minute just to thank you um, sincerely from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, but this morning... We are continuing on um, in our series on the book of Revelation. And this morning is actually our last week in this series. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of bummed. Um, I feel like this series has been incredible. If you have missed any this summer, if you've been on a trip or you've been out for any reason, can I just encourage you, go back, listen to any messages you might've missed. We have heard from some incredible members of our teaching team this summer. And there has just been some, so much practical wisdom that they have shared about what we can learn from this letter. And so each week, um, over the past seven weeks, we have gotten to hear Jesus's message to seven specific churches in the book of Revelation. And so this message came through his disciple, John, um, a revelation that he was given while he was actually imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And so he spent his entire life preaching and sharing and going and spreading the gospel. And as he comes to the end of his life, he's actually imprisoned by the Roman Empire, sent into isolation on this island. And so how he's going to get this message out is he writes this letter and he sends it to these seven churches. And so in case you haven't been here, or maybe you need a little bit of a refresher, um, I've got a map for us of this region, um, just so we can kind of understand how this letter has traveled um, that we've studied over the last few weeks. So um, if you start in Patmos, where John was imprisoned, you'll see that the first city that this letter would have come to is Ephesus, right? Guess which the first church that we read about was? Ephesus, right? So then it went to Smyrna, Pergamos, and all the way through. And today we are going to land in the last city, which is the city of Laodicea. And so as we've studied these chapters, we've gotten to learn a little bit about each of these churches. What made them unique? Who were the people who made up these church communities? How did they interact with the culture around them? What problems were they facing? And what did Jesus have to say to them as they faced persecution and hostility from the leadership of the Roman Empire? But to fully understand this rich meaning, this rich imagery of this message to the Laodiceans, I think it's important for us to understand who these people were 
what was important to them and how were they interacting with this culture and with this pressure that they were facing from the Romans. So really quick, I just wanna give us a little bit of background information, kind of set up where we're headed this morning. So the first question is who were the Laodiceans? Well, we know some things about them, both from history and then also from what we can kind of learn through what we read in Revelation. Uh, But the first thing we know about them is they were a extremely wealthy people. And there were three main trade um, kind of areas or industries that this town was known for. The first was banking. So this city was actually one of the biggest gold exchanges in the region. And so it really became a center for banking um, in Asia Minor. The second is textiles. They were known specifically for, they would take this black glossy wool and they would weave it together to create these black garments called tremata. And this was coveted across the Roman empire. Like if you could get your hands on this, it meant that you probably had a lot of money and people knew like, oh, that came from Laodicea. And then the last was medicine. So this city had one of the best medical schools in the region and they were best known for this eye ointment that they made from rocks in the local area and they would send it out to other cities in the region. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a little hint. Okay, for those of you taking notes, Banking, textiles, eye ointment. You might wanna write that down. It'll come back later, okay? Um, Hey, I'm just giving you the answers to the pop quiz, okay? So these industries made the people of this city extremely wealthy. And so because the people in this city were wealthy, because they had a lot of assets and resources, that meant that the city itself had a lot of assets and resources. If you looked at the size of the city, the population that was there, the amount of uh, theaters and chapels and churches and temples that they had, it was crazy for a city of their size. But because of their wealth, it also made them extremely self-reliant. If you were with us last week, Pastor Gareth was talking about just the instability of this region in the sense that there were constantly earthquakes. And about 30 years before this letter was written, there was actually a massive earthquake that destroyed much of the city of Laodicea. And so Rome reached out to try to offer any assistance that they could, to see if the city needed any help rebuilding. And they actually declined. They said, no, we're good. We can do this on our own. And they did. They completely rebuilt the city on their own with no help from Rome. So they were wealthy, they were self-reliant, and they were also extremely highly regarded by Rome. So over the past few weeks, we've talked about how worship at this time shifted from worshiping gods like Zeus, Artemis, you know, things that we studied in like mythology, right? To worshiping the emperor, specifically the emperor Domitian, because he had elevated himself as a God and demanded that people don't just obey him, but they worship him. And so the temples that were found in these cities, they were converted into spaces to worship the emperor. And Laodicea actually did this so well that archaeologists have found coins that were minted um, that um, said that Laodicea was marked as a city that was a guardian of the temple of the emperor. So this is the backdrop of the letter written to the church of Laodicea. The church was existing in this space of wealth and self-reliance and they were facing extreme pressure 
to conform to the culture around them in order to continue living these lives of wealth and comfort that they have become accustomed to. Now, a few weeks ago, we got to hear from Larry Aspland, and there was something that he said in his message that really kind of framed these letters to the churches that has stuck with me. He said, these seven churches were facing a threat, but that threat was not outside persecution. It was something developing within the church. And what I think we're going to realize this morning is yes, the Laodiceans were facing this persecution, we're facing this pressure. But what we're going to see is that that pressure, that persecution, it actually revealed what was already going on in the hearts of the people of this church. So if you have your Bible with you, a Bible app on your phone, um, go ahead and grab it. We're going to turn to Revelation chapter three, and we're going to start in verse 14 and just walk through uh, this message to the church together. And like the other messages to the churches, it starts with Jesus revealing something about himself to the church. And because of that, through what Jesus chooses to reveal, we actually learn something about the people he's about to speak to. Okay, so we'll start Revelation 3, 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So Jesus presents himself to this church as a faithful and true witness who has been that way from the beginning of creation. And this word that he uses to describe himself that is translated here as amen, it's actually the same word that we see him use over and over again in the gospels that's translated as very truly I tell you. And when we see this word, we know that what Jesus is about to say is important, it is true, and it is the word of God. So everything that Jesus has said is true important and the word of God, including his coming rebuke of the church of Laodicea. So a little bit of a spoiler alert for you. This letter is often regarded as the harshest message of any message given to the church, to any church in the book of Revelation. I want you to imagine um, that you're sitting in a room, you've worked on this project with six other people, and it's your day to receive feedback, okay? And where you're sitting, some of you are like already sweating, I can tell. So where you're sitting, you realize that you're going to be the last to receive your feedback, okay? And so you hear each person in turn, and they're getting a combination of, hey, good job on this, work on this, right? Or maybe just, hey, you're doing great, keep doing what you're doing. And it gets to you, and you've kind of already, like in your mind, said, okay, like I know I could work on this, right? But we're, I'm doing this okay. And it gets to you, and there's no, hey, good effort. There's no compliment sandwich, right, that they teach us to like give feedback with, right? No, it's just, hey, you've got a lot to work on. I kind of wonder if that's how the church of Laodicea felt as they were hearing this letter written to them. And so why was Jesus rebuking this church? 
Well, the Christians in this city, the way that they were facing persecution from Rome is that if they chose to not go and worship the emperor, they were not allowed to buy or sell any of their goods. And so it meant that not worshiping the emperor was going to drastically affect them financially. And so the wealthy Christians in this city were faced with a choice. Would they hold fast to the faith or would they compromise in order to maintain their worldly status? And unfortunately, what we're going to see in Jesus's message is that they chose the latter. They chose to compromise. And so we're going to continue on um, in verse 15, and we're going to see that Jesus is going to start calling out the church for the state of their faith. So Revelation 3, 15 through 16, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, first of all, ew. Um, Because that word, when it says spit, it's literally translated as vomit, okay? So, yeah. Um, But let's just kind of recap. Like, the people of Laodicea have heard all these messages to the church, right? Let's just kind of recap what they've heard. Ephesus, come back to your first love. Smyrna, keep the faith. Pergamum, don't compromise your beliefs. Laodicea, you guys make me want to puke shift in tone, right? But to understand what Jesus means here, I want us to look at a practical reality of what the people of Laodicea were facing. Um, So we're going to go back to the map. So if you see, Laodicea is kind of sandwiched between these two towns. So to the north is the city of Hierapolis. And this city had a hot springs that people at the time used for medicinal purposes. You had aches and pains. You could go there um, and you could use the hot water to help you feel better. And then to the south is the city of Colossae. And they had these snow-fed streams that they could go to for refreshing, cool drinking water. But Laodicea, there in the middle, with all of its wealth, with all of its prestige, with everything it had going for them, it didn't have its own water source. And so it had to use these aqueducts to pipe in hot mineral water, which meant that by the time it got through these miles of aqueducts and ended up in their city, you ended up with this lukewarm, kind of minerally tasting water. And this lukewarm water, it wasn't good for medicinal purposes, like the hot springs. It definitely wasn't refreshing to drink, like the water from Colossae. It honestly, it tended to make you feel sick to your stomach. And so what Jesus is basically saying is you are just like your water. You're not hot, you're not cold, you are good for nothing. And so Jesus intentionally used this illustration that the Laodiceans would understand really well because it was a part of their everyday reality. And he used it to help them see clearly the state of their faith. Because the truth is there is no place for lukewarm faith in the kingdom of God. There was too much at stake for the people of the church of Laodicea And I believe that there is too much at stake today. 
Because you see, God has called us out to live the commands of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Regardless of what is going on in culture, regardless of how it could impact us financially or relationally with the world, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But we know today that that's not always easy. It takes intentional obedience to continue to walk in the commands of God. It takes putting the fruits of the spirit first in our lives. It means putting the way that God wants us to live ahead of what success might look like to the world. And lukewarm faith often comes from us making the choice to put our faith lower and lower on our list of priorities. Maybe it's behind security, maybe it's behind comfort, fitting in, fear. And when God falls out of our focus, the ways of the world become more and more appealing. And the ways of God can start to become burdensome or even foolish. Because lukewarm faith is a symptom of us putting ourselves on the throne of our lives when we start to measure our lives against the measuring stick of the world rather than by how God asks us to live. So we're gonna continue on in verse 17 um, and just unpack this a bit further. So verses 17 and 18, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness an ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. So earlier, we talked about the three main trade areas for the city of Laodicea, gold, textiles, and ointment for your eyes. And we see that Jesus calls out these three industries specifically because these are the industries that have brought these people material and worldly wealth. But Jesus is saying, no, these pale in comparison to what I offer you. Because they may have the most gold in the province, but Jesus says that is worthless. Get gold from me, gold that is pure. And they may have these black garments that are the envy of anyone in the region, but what Jesus offers in stark contrast is white, holy pure garments. And even though they say that they have this ointment for their eyes to help them see, Jesus says, no, you are blind. You are blind to what's truly important unless you come to me. These people believed that they had it made. Their worldly treasures, their worldly wealth, they believed they didn't need anything else. But what Jesus is showing them is that even though by the world's standards, you are rich, in reality, you are spiritually bankrupt. In a lecture on uh, this book of Revelation, I love this quote from Dr. Shane Wood. 
He says, economics are flipped in the book of Revelation. If you're rich in Rome, you're poor in the kingdom of God. If you're poor in Rome, you're rich in the kingdom of God. Can't you see how this mindset could totally lead to lukewarm faith? If you believe that you have everything you could ever want, what is your real need for God? Slowly over time, your faith can become wrapped up in the things that you can see. It leads to creating this security blanket based on the things of this world. And the more comfortable you get in what you have, the less you look for what you need in Jesus. Because the truth for both the Laodiceans and for us today is that lukewarm faith does not happen overnight. It's the result of small decisions every day that lead to complacency over time. It's deciding that our own comfort, our own agenda, it's more important than what the Lord is asking of us. And the danger of lukewarm faith is that it allows us to compromise, to justify things that we know aren't right. Because here's the thing, the Laodiceans, they weren't bad people. They simply were trying to protect their way of living. And so slowly over time, they made these decisions that ultimately led them to not have their priorities focused on Jesus and instead to listen to the ways of the world. The Christians in Laodicea, they had lived these lives of general comfort and allowed themselves to start to look more and more like culture when things were going well. But then when persecution came, their faith wavered. So here's my question for us this morning. What do the things life throws at you reveal about your heart? Here's the reality. The persecution that this church faced, when, that, when they were faced with that persecution, that's not when their outlook changed. That's not when their faith truly started to crumble. That happened long before the persecution really began. Something that Pastor Gareth has said before just about life, right, is that you're either in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. But what I think that we can learn from this church is how we prepare for storms will determine how strong our faith is in the midst of them. Whether that storm is life circumstances, the consequences of our own actions, or persecution from others, the state of our faith, it's most clearly seen when it's tested, but that is not when our faith is cultivated. No matter where you're at in your life journey right now, how are you intentionally cultivating your faith? How are you seeking the Lord? No matter whether you're in tough times or prosperous ones. Because I think in those times when it feels like things are going really well, it's easy for us to allow ourselves to become self-reliant, to believe that we have it all figured out. And in many ways, I see a lot of parallels between the church in Laodicea and the big C American church. Society today elevates those who are self-reliant. 
It emphasizes living this life of comfort and especially in our current cultural state often demands compromise. And if I'm honest, as I studied these verses over the past few weeks, I had this overwhelming sense of conviction, both personally and for us as the larger church community. Because I believe that we have to decide that we are going to allow no room for lukewarm faith in our lives. We have to turn from indifference. We have to make the intentional choice to say, Jesus, you are the ruler of my life, no matter what it costs me, Because that is what Jesus calls us to do. That is what he called out this church in Laodicea for. Okay, so up until this point, last like 25 minutes, right? We've talked a lot about what's not going well, okay? We've talked about how Laodicea, like not doing so good, right? But like everything with Jesus, not all hope is lost, Even though there was no accolade given to this church, instead, what Jesus gives them is an invitation. And it's an invitation that is full of hope and promise. So Revelation 3, 19 through 21, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. You see, Jesus didn't give this rebuke to the church because he thought that they were a lost cause. He didn't take the time to show this group of people how they needed to change because he had given up on them. No, he rebuked them because he loved them. He rebukes us because he loves us. There is hope. There is grace. There is a promise for those who leave behind their indifference, who decide to turn away from the world's version of success and run headfirst after Jesus. And here's what's super cool about the church in Laodicea is that hundreds of years after this letter was written, when many churches had fallen away and crumbled, Laodicea was still standing. As late as 360 AD, so like 300 years after this letter was written, Laodicea pops up in church historical records. So it sounds like the people in this church, they heard the message, they learned the lesson, And they got to share in the victory that Jesus promised. And they went and they impacted their community for decades and decades to come. So this morning, if you believe, like the verses we just read, that Jesus is standing at the door of your life and knocking, how will you respond? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time. Maybe it's been years. It's been your whole life but you're in a season where you really closely identify with the church of Laodicea. You've allowed other things to take that first priority in your life. You've gotten comfortable. You maybe feel complacent. How can you take this warning to heart 
and to not allow your faith to become lukewarm. Last summer, um, one of the volunteers who came with us to camp, um, he was sharing about this season of life that he was in. He felt like uh, there was this change that was coming, but he wasn't really sure what that was. And as he was spending time with the Lord, just saying, Lord, I feel like there might be some movement in my life. He was convicted that while he knew that this change was coming, he was standing still and just waiting for that change to happen to him. So instead, he started to seek new opportunities to serve the Lord, which for him meant leading a cabin of middle school boys at summer camp. That might not be for you. It might be, might not be for you. But in this conversation that we were having at camp, he said something that has stuck with me. He said, I realize that it's a lot easier for God to move in my life if I'm in motion rather than staying still in the things I've always done. So is there an area of your life that you are staying still in that maybe feels like that lukewarm water in the aqueducts of Laodicea, stagnant and not moving anywhere? Maybe that area feels that way out of fear, out of desire for comfort, simply out of indecision or even indifference. Can I just encourage you this morning to invite God specifically into that area of your life, to begin to show you ways that you can move into the call that he has for you. It doesn't have to be massive, big steps, okay? You don't have to change everything about your life overnight. What that might look like this week is just praying a prayer of God, show me one way that I can take a step this week. But then the flip side of that is you have to be willing to listen and to act on it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never opened the door to invite Jesus into your life. While I definitely can tell you that following Jesus does not make our life perfect or easy breezy, I think if we've learned anything from the last seven weeks, we can say that that's definitely not true. What I can tell you is that life with Jesus helps us through the things that life throws at us. You see, what we see in this message to the church in Laodicea is that Jesus loves us so much that he will call us out on our missteps, not just into a life of good deeds, not just into doing things that make him happy or make him look good. No, he calls us into relationship with him to invite him in to sit with us as a friend, to eat and drink together, to be a part of our everyday lives. And what we've seen over these past eight weeks is that the message of the book of Revelation is not a message of doom and gloom and destruction and death and fire, like I think a lot of us might think it is. The message of the book of Revelation is an invitation to come and be with Jesus. And so as we close our time together this morning, and we're going to sing one more song together called Build My Life. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. And as we sing this song together, um, could this be our prayer for us individually, for us as abundant life, and for us as the church as a whole?
that we would build our lives, that we would build our faith only on the love of Jesus. May we be a people and a church that doesn't abandon our first love for Christ, that keeps the faith under pressure, that doesn't compromise our beliefs, that doesn't follow false prophets, that is spiritually alive, not dead, that patiently endures even in our weakness, and that doesn't have lukewarm faith, but is sold out and passionate about Jesus. God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Um, I thank you for just this church body, God. I thank you for the message and the reality that you desire relationship with us. You don't simply desire good deeds. You don't simply desire a life that looks good on the outside, but is lukewarm and stagnant on the inside. No, God, you desire for our lives to be full of purpose, running after you, following your commands. God, I pray that this week, would you be moving in our lives and would we have the courage to listen and respond? God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing. It's in your name we pray, amen.